Thank you, Nate. And my prayer is that uh, God will give you and this congregation even more years than, than the rest of us. But thank you for it. It was the coldest winter in recent memory in New England, the year Sandy and I were newlyweds. Like many young couples, we were struggling to keep body and soul together and make ends meet. And I was trying to do my part by selling fuller brushes door to door in all that ice and snow. And as you know, I am not a salesman. And if my mother-in-law had not purchased nearly every item in the Fuller Brush catalog <laughs> repeatedly, I don't know what would have happened. My PhD studies in historical theology were going very well. But I was unsettled, to say the least, deeply unsettled. And finally, Sandy said, John, isn't this about ordination? And as she often is, Sandy was right. It was about ordination. And this is about ordination this morning, about Nate's ordination as your pastor, and about my ordination, and about the ordination, the calling you all have to be God's people. God's people in this world. To be servants of the living God. and witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the new life that he offers freely. People, ordinary people, filled in extraordinary ways with God himself and the spirit of God and with wisdom. I had resisted ordination for many years. It was the one thing growing up that I did not want to do, to become a preacher, a pastor like my father. Until the spring of 1965, when I was walking across the campus at North Park, Glenn Anderson, the dean of North Park Seminary, caught up with me. And being a family friend, he asked me what I was going to be doing in the fall after graduation. And I told him that I was planning to attend the University of Michigan to study philosophy in the graduate school. 
And he detected something, something in my voice, something in the air, because he said, John, have you ever thought about seminary? And I, I thought to myself, I was afraid he was going to ask that. <laughs> because I had, and no one knew this. None of my classmates, none of my friends, no one in my family, not even my parents. But I had been struggling for some time with this sense of call, this, this vocation from God. And I, I could be a doctor. I could be a professor. I could be anything. Anything but a pastor. And I shared this, some of this, with Glenn Anderson. And he said, well, why not come to the seminary and try it out? See what happens. And what happened was I was surprised. I was surprised. But let me say this, it took years Years in seminary, in fact, two different seminaries. And even some years in ministry before I really understood what was happening. And if God had not provided me with people like Glenn Anderson and like Sandy who, who asked the questions that needed to be asked I don't know if I ever would have understood this good, good news that God calls us. He is passionate about this calling. And he is filled with a loving purpose for you and for me and for us all. And he is patient. And he is persistent. Oh, man. And now, today, I want to speak about the significance of this. The, the significance of this for each of us here, locally. The fact that God calls us personally. Not just in general, but sometimes in very specific ways to be his and to serve him in this world. And I also want to speak a little bit to the larger significance of this calling, this ordination, which links us up with something bigger than ourselves and, and bigger than an individual congregation, something that connects us with something that, that will outlast us and our lives. 
something of lasting, eternal significance in our lives and in the life of the church. This is about ordination. Now, your pastor, Nate Hickox, has been ordained. He has been called. He has been trained. He has been examined. And now he has been ordained. Ordained by the Evangelical Covenant Church. Ordained to a ministry. A ministry of word and sacraments. Word and sacraments. When I was considering the call to come to this congregation as a pastor in the fall of 1976, Reverend Bill Peterson, who was one of my mentors in ministry, told me, he said, John, that will be a big pulpit in Wheaton. A big pulpit. And he meant by that that it would be a challenging place to preach because the congregation and the community are typically people who have read the scriptures, who, who know some of the things. So it will be a challenge to preach to that kind of congregation. And it, it will potentially be a place, a big pulpit in the sense of being influential. You will, you will, people will be coming and going and you'll, you will have an impact on, on many, many lives. And it was true. It was... It is a big pulpit here in Wheaton. But it was also literally a big pulpit at that time. It was a great big wooden pulpit. <laughs> big enough for even Gene Frost to hide behind. <laughs> and as an ordained pastor himself, Gene knows, and Nate knows, and I know that preaching calls for a different kind of transparency. The kind of transparency that reflects God himself, who, who is seen and unseen, who is high and lifted up, and also with those who are crushed, who hides himself from us so that, so that we cannot stand up here and say, well, I know everything about God there is to know. I can tell you, you know, I know it all. I can preach like, you know, I've, I've seen everything. I can tell you, there are, you know. But he is also a God who reveals himself, who, who comes from behind the, veil of mystery and shows himself. He reveals himself to us so that we do have something to say. We do have something we know for sure and can say it with confidence because God has made himself known. Big pulpit. There was also a big Bible up here. On the pulpit. Now, it is a good thing to have a, a Bible on display to tell everyone that the Bible is central in 
our lives, the centrality of the word. But does anyone ever read from this? Do you? Uh, the Bible in the old days was open here, sitting here, so that anyone could come up. And, and Stan brought up his Bible. I brought up my Bible. We bring up our Bibles. But this Bible was so big, it sat right here. And, and no one could preach from it. <laughs> preach from this pulpit unless it was based on what was in this book that stayed here so that people could come and read it and see it. Anyone could come and read. And, and Nate referred to our sojourn here with you for the year we lived at Windsor Park and became again a part of this congregation. And, and Nate and the rest of you introduced us to that wonderful two-year Bible reading program. And I have to say, Nate, that is the absolute best Bible reading program I have ever come across and been a part of in, in now almost 50 years of ministry. That is just top-notch. The, the power this past month of reading alongside each other day by day the prophecies from Isaiah 40, 50, 60 and then the book of Revelation the prophecies of the New Testament the side by side and sparks of the spirit fly back and forth and, and even yesterday the, the connection between Isaiah 58 the, about genuine fasting here on one part of the reading and then from the Sermon on the Mount about when you fast don't just look dismal and try to impress people with how you know, humble you are yeah. wash your face put on good clothes anoint, get your head anointed with oil and then, then, then the Father will see what you're doing the one who sees will see and, and, and you don't need to Impressed people, that's not what fasting is about. But read the Bible. Read the Bible. And besides the big pulpit, there was a great big table. A great big wooden table right there in the middle of the sanctuary. That's why that odd-shaped carpet squares there, because this was to be a congregation centered in the sacraments as well as preaching. So the table stood there so big that no one could, could fail to see. Besides the preaching, there was the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the communion elements, the, the plate and the pitcher and the cup were always there and the, the, the baptismal font was there on this table and the table itself was big enough for all the deacons to gather around and even the whole congregation could come gather around it was right there in the middle of things and and at thanksgiving we would fill that table to overflowing with canned goods and bags of canned goods they overflowed down on the floor for food pantries Every Thanksgiving. And I, 
to be ordained and to be able to stand here at this table or that, the other table to, to stand and invite you to come. To say, come. Come. Come to the sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify. Not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim whatsoever on heaven's rewards, but because you stand as I do in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Come. Not to express your opinions, but to seek his presence and pray for his spirit. Now there is a time for us, for all of us, to express our opinions. This congregation is great at, at sampling people's opinions and as we try to discern what God is calling us to do. Get everyone's opinions. But there is also a time to put those opinions aside and be still and listen. Eugene Peterson says the pastor's primary responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. Attentive to God. As your pastor in those days, I also had the wonderful privilege of wading into the muddy waters over at Herrick Lake with some of you as you were being baptized or into the deeper, darker clearer waters down at Blackwell and, and immersing you in those baptismal waters and, and bringing you up as God was bringing you up out of death into newness of life. Oh, wonderful privilege. And to treasure those moments when as parents, you would bring your little ones to us here and present them in infant baptism or dedication. And I would take those little ones into my hands, into my arms, and I would ask you, I would say, by what name is this child to be called? And you would, you would tell me, you would respond by telling me the child's name, their given name, their Christian christening name. And then I would quote from Isaiah 43, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I am with you. I have called you by name. 
you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, you will not be overwhelmed. You will walk through the fires and you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And then the water sprinkled. And then, I love this so much, carrying these little ones, carrying some of you around. I could do that in those days. You were little, carrying you around the sanctuary and around the congregation so that, so that everyone could see you and touch you. The little ones could, could reach out and touch your toes and the, the other folks could, could, could maybe touch you and say a blessing. And we could see the faithfulness of God from generation to generation. And, I, and then I bring the, the child back into the center and, and lift you up. And I would say, do you see this? Can you see this? Do you understand this kind of love that God has for us? That we should be called children of God. God. And that is what we are. That is who we are. And this reality of God's calling each of us by name is what gives our lives their meaning and their purpose, direction significance. When I was ordained, there was a prayer printed on the back of the bulletin, an ancient pastoral prayer. And last night, I got to participate in the ordination of Nate by laying on my hands as someone else prayed. But I'm going to pray this prayer for you now. gives himself to others. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And here is a part where I was prepared if I needed something to fill the time <laughs> to, to speak to you about Stephen in Acts 6 and 7, but it was done so well. It's already been said. It's already been seen and heard by even the little ones. And I hope you were listening. These are these messages here from Nate and from, from the staff here who do these words to the children. They are so 
you are so fortunate. They are so good. We watch it on, on, you know, on feed. We are sitting in Annapolis, Maryland. And at 9.30, we're Presbyterians. And at, at 10.30, 11 o'clock, we tune in, 11.30, tune in to Faith Covenant Church. And, and we get to see and hear what you see and hear on Sunday morning. So we're doubly blessed. So I don't need to say anything more about, about Acts 6 and 7. You've heard that. Know the good news. And, and so I will simply go on. Um, speaking of Glenn Anderson, Glenn kept up a, a faithful correspondence with me uh, all through those circling years. And after my ordination, he wrote, the world today needs a dedicated ministry whose lives are an example of what God's grace is all about. Lives who are an example of what God's grace is all about. In your sermon series here, where a number of you shared those stories of grace were just wonderful. That's the kind of faithful witness that uh, is so needy to be heard. Um, Glenn Anderson went on in that letter. He said, if I would share one word of caution with you, it would be that amidst all the pressures you will experience repeatedly in your ministry, that you not neglect your family. As you will know, you need them, and they need you. Friends, here in Wheaton, please take this to heart. Please take it to heart. This is a, a challenging place to do ministry. There are high expectations. There, there's an expectation to always be available, always to be accessible, always to be achieving, and, and it puts pressure on all of us. And in the midst of it, sometimes your staff, the pastor, will feel the squeeze. Please be good stewards of Nate and of Laura and of Daisy and of Levi as you were such good stewards for Sandy and for me and for Jennifer and Sarah there and Laurel in Kenosha and Kristen. You were good stewards. Continue, continue to be good stewards and you will do well. And Nate was ordained in the Evangelical Covenant Church. And, and to see that happening across the country and be a part of that is a reminder that this calling, this ordination, connects us for something bigger than ourselves, something even larger even than a single congregation, something, a ministry, a mission that's been carried on across the country, around the world, down through the years. Jesus said, I have other sheep which are not yet in this fold. I must bring them too. I must bring them too. And we say, them? What about, yes, them? And, and, and them? Yes, 
I want them too. Lord, certainly not, not them, not them. Jesus would say, now you're making me a little upset. Yes, even them, even them, I must bring them. Two, and so then there will be one flock, one shepherd. We serve the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus also said of, of the Apostle Peter in his confession, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. And that makes our calling, our nation, connected with something lasting, something durable, something eternal that is built on a solid foundation. I'm so glad to hear how at least some of you are learning the Apostles' Creed this summer together with your children. When the time came in, in my service of ordination to say, to express my faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, I could hardly speak. Those sacred words, treasure. And I've managed to say, yes, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Christian Church. Communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Those precious words I remember saying to our confirmands here as they would kneel in prayer before us and would express their faith in the words of the creed, I would say, this is what the church of Jesus Christ believes, and it is my prayer as your pastor and teacher that it becomes your personal confession of faith and the basis for the commitment of your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, because that is what counts and will last I was ordained on October 1st, 1972. It will be 50 years next year since that ordination. And I was ordained at the Evangelical Covenant Church in Ridgeway, Pennsylvania, which was the first congregation which Sandy and I served, and which was the first Congregation served by my parents, Stanley and Edla Benson, who were there that day. And the reason I was not ordained in June with all the others at the Covenant Annual Meeting was because our child was due about that time, our firstborn. And I was committed to being there in labor and assist as I could in the delivery of this child 
at Elk County General Hospital in Ridgeway, Pennsylvania, where three of our daughters were born. As you know, the fourth was born right over there. And here she is this morning. And I told the, the denominational leadership, I, I'm not going to be at the annual meeting this year. I, I'll have to wait. But they made an exception. It was the last time that they made an exception to those rules that, that ordinations had to be done at the denominational, by the, by the annual meeting. And so Milton Engelbretson, who was the president of the covenant at that time, and Earl M. Vanderveer, who was executive secretary of the ministry in those days, flew out from Covenant headquarters here in Chicago, flew out to little town of Ridgeway, Pennsylvania, and I was ordained in the local church there by these denominational leaders that came. And at first I was frankly embarrassed when Earl Vanderveer chose John 1.6 as his text for my ordination, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. <laughs> he came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true, genuine light that enlightens everyone was even then coming into the world. And I had gotten my name some 29 years before my ordination in 1943, a day or two after I was born at St. Anne's Roman Catholic Hospital in Juneau, Alaska. One of the sisters, a nurse there, Sister Mary Clarita, was reading aloud from the New Testament at the bedside of my mother. And she came to Luke 1.63, the place where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who had been stricken speechless by his disbelief asks for a writing table, a writing tablet. They were going to call him Zachariah Jr. And he says, the writing tablet, and he writes, his name is John. And my mother said, that's it. I got my name. In the summer of 1969, or 1989, this congregation very generously provided me with the time and the funding for a full summer sabbatical in southeast Alaska, where my parents had served as covenant missionaries um, during the days of World War II. And later on that year, I visited, Sandy and I visited my parents in Cromwell, Connecticut, where they were living at the Covenant Retirement Center, and I told my parents all about what I had seen and done, and I, I told mom and dad that I had, I had actually been able to visit St. Anne's Hospital in Juneau, Alaska. It was no longer, it was, 
no longer a hospital. It was the headquarters of the Catholic Diocese of, of Southeast Alaska. And I, I, was, I went into the front, and they welcomed me, and, and I told them my story, and they brought me, and they took me all through that building and up to the floors where the, the, the birth had taken place, and they gave me booklets from the anniversary of the, the Catholic orders that had served there and, and just made me feel at home. And in addition to that, I told my mother and father that I had actually met the doctor who delivered me into the world, Dr. Joseph Rood at the Sitka Pioneers Home. Dr. Joseph Rood, a devout Lutheran, had been, had sensed a call to be a medical missionary in Latin America, but ended up going to Southeast Alaska where he became legendary for his compassion for people and his skill and his caring. He was the kind of doctor that would go out any time of day or night. He'd go out in any kind of weather to the most remote villages and, and bring healing out. And uh, he used that skill. When I was born by cesarean section, and he provided wonderful medical care for my mother, whose pregnancy had been just terrible, and and the labor and delivery, the C-section was that kind of could have gone another way. And when I shared that I had visited Dr. Rood and told him my story, and I, I prayed for him, and I, my mother said, Johnny, you and I owe our lives to that dear man. We owe our lives, no matter how we were born, we owe someone our lives. And my father remembered that when the time came for him to settle accounts with the hospital, with St. Anne's Hospital, and with Dr. Rood for his medical services, Dr. Rood said, no, no, you don't need to pay me anything. You just write a letter home to my mother in North Dakota and tell her I'm okay. That will be payment enough. That will be payment enough. This is about ordination. Being God's people, doing these kinds of things in the world. In a worship service on December 4th, 2016, that congregation in which I was ordained in Ridgeway, Pennsylvania, concluded its ministry. 
in a worship service on that Sunday, the few who remained in that sanctuary there, which was designed to seat 800 to 1,000 people, thanked God for his presence in their lives and in the life of that congregation and celebrated over 130 years of significant and fruitful ministry in that small town in that northwestern corner of Pennsylvania and around the world through sending out missionaries and pastors and, and lay people across the globe who touched so many, many lives. They thank God for it. And they had decided that it would be good stewardship to simply hand over all the remaining assets of that congregation, that beautiful building which had been built there on Center Street, the parsonage next door, Larson Park, all those things that still were assets to the congregation, to hand it all over to the covenant so that new congregations could be planted in other places and so that other people could come to hear and believe the same good news that they had come to hear and believe. And their parents had come to hear and believe. And their parents before them and their grandparents and great-grandparents had heard And now it was still possible to do ministry by sending it all away, giving it all away. So then other people, other places, different kind, not Swedes anymore. <laughs> they weren't coming off the boat anymore. Now they're coming off other boats by other ways. They're coming to us and we reach out to them in the name of Jesus Christ and use whatever we have whatever time God has given us whatever gifts he has provided us to share this good news about a God who loves us so much and calls us calls you by name by name by name this is about ordination. This is about ordination. On the wall in my office here, near the door, I had a, a copy of Martin Luther's sacristy prayer. And I will like I will make this part of our prayer time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> See, this is why I didn't want to. I, I was so hesitant to say yes to Nate because I, you know me. I, I give you two for the price of one. <laughs> or even three. And, and if Gene Froster here would say, John, he'd come up to me afterwards. He said, John, you preached two good sermons today. <laughs> and, and you are so patient. You are so patient. And, and I, I, can, I worry about the time, you know. But anyway, this is the prayer that Martin Luther wrote 
O Lord God, thou hast made me a pastor and a teacher in the church. Thou seest how unfit I am to administer rightly this great and responsible office, and had I been without thy aid and counsel, I would surely have ruined it all long ago. Therefore do I invoke thee. How gladly do I desire to yield my heart and my mouth to this ministry. I desire to teach the congregation. I too desire ever to learn and keep thy word as my constant companion and to meditate thereupon earnestly. Use me as thy instrument in thy service. Only do not thou forsake me, for if I am left to myself, I will surely bring it all to destruction. Amen. And now join me in